Thanks, Marg. Um, and just before I uh, look at the sermon, I just realised that I neglected to say before, unless anyone's worried about the fact that the six of us that are here in this building are breaching the public health order, there is a provision in the public health order for um, staff and volunteers to do the work that we can only do here in the building, uh, to leave our homes for that purpose. Um, just in case anyone was worried about that, I just thought I should explain that. But as we come to look at the passage together, let's uh, ask God to help us. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes your word challenges parts of us that are, are really, um, yeah, need challenging and, and, and potentially the whole area of generosity and giving and, and, and the way we use our money is one of those. So I pray that you would help us to really humble our hearts before you and really hear what your word has to say to us so that we might be people who really reflect your grace and uh, work to build your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some years ago, I remember a particular advertisement catching my attention. Not that it was that flashy particularly. In fact, all it was was a simple quote and the logo of, for American Express. It looked something like this. It's more blessed to give than receive and on. Now, what caught my attention and, in fact, annoyed me somewhat was the failure of the advertisers to source their quote. Anon, they said, unknown author. And yet it's very easy to source that quote. Acts 20, verse 35, Paul is speaking words of farewell to the Ephesian elders and he's reminding them of his ministry amongst them and urging them to go on building on it. And he says... In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, perhaps American Express were not sure whether to attribute it to Jesus or to Paul, who's quoting him in that speech, or to Luke, who recorded it for us in Acts. But the original source is pretty clear, isn't it? Let's change the ad accordingly. It's more blessed to give than receive Jesus. American Express were seeking to commandeer those words to encourage people to use their card to buy presents. But they stumbled on something much more profound, the teaching of Jesus on giving, his encouragement to be blessed through generosity. American Express may not have recognised the author, but those of us who know him should be challenged by his words. It's more blessed to give than to receive Jesus. A true understanding of giving is all wrapped up in knowing Jesus. It's all about recognizing the blessing of the gospel and how the gospel community that Jesus formed uses that blessing. And as we reach the end of the financial year and absorb the presentation that Dave gave us last week regarding the hopes for staffing next year, and the challenge that brings to increase DPC's income, I thought this was a great opportunity to consider the blessing of generosity in the light of the gospel community that God has formed us to be. The gospel community is at the heart of our vision at DPC. The summary statement that begins our vision of who we want to be is a community shaped by the gospel to reach the wider community with the gospel. And our core values put the gospel at the heart of everything. Above all, 
We value the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news that through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has redeemed and is renewing the world. When we believe and rely on what Jesus has done for us, we are called to be part of God's purpose for, for, by living lives of love and grace. And another of our core values focuses on community. The gospel creates a community where we can know God as, and his love and serve each other as we learn to live his way. Our church community gives us all an imperfect taste of his coming kingdom. The gospel unites us as a community in a way that allows us to delight in our different gifts, roles, experiences and styles. You know, some years ago, uh, a book called Total Church helpfully showed that gospel and community are the key to understanding church. Christians are called to a dual fidelity, fidelity to the core content of the gospel and fidelity to the primary context of a believing community. What we do is always defined by the gospel and the context is consistently the Christian community. Putting that simply, church equals gospel plus community. So, so I thought that that would be a great grid through which that we could look at giving gospel plus community. I want to look with you at how gospel and community give us the reason for giving, how they should shape the focus of our giving, how they should shape the mechanics of our giving, and most importantly, how they give us the motivation for giving. So let's think together about what Jesus describes as the blessing of giving. So first, why should we give? That's a fairly fundamental question, isn't it? Uh, we, we have many needs ourselves and responsibilities as well, family, taxes, mortgages. Why should we set aside some money to give away? Well, first and foremost, because of the gospel. That's why. That's the very heart of the passage that was read to us before from 2 Corinthians 8. Paul is urging the Christians in Corinth to give. He's made a commitment to the Christians in Jerusalem who have been hit by really hard economic times through famine and persecution. And he's taking up a collection from the churches that he visits to take back to their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. The Corinthians had, had, have made a commitment to this appeal, but they look like they're not following through. So Paul is urging them to give generously. He begins by challenging them by the example of the struggling churches in Macedonia like Thessalonica and Philippi, churches who are doing it tough themselves and yet uh, are being incredibly generous. But as he, it's in verse 9 that he gives the very heart of their reason to give. Have a look at it with, with me, would you? Uh, why should they give? He's not commanding them, he says. So why should they give? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's why they should give, because of the gospel, because of the generosity of Jesus. He was unimaginably rich in heaven, but he gave it all up, became poor, humbled himself even to death on a cross for us, so that we could know the riches of heaven which he gave up. That's our reason to give God's generosity to us, the gospel. Ephesians 1.3 praises the God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We have a generous God 
That's why we should be generous. And, and that gospel gives us a whole new priority. Where the, tre- where the treasure we seek is not the fleeting treasure of this world, which moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but the lasting inheritance that we have in Christ, which is kept in heaven for us. That's why Paul tells rich people to be generous in 1 Timothy. Uh, we began, uh, and, and in global terms, believe me, even the poorest amongst us is rich. We began our time today with Paul. what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, which richly provide, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. The gospel gives us a new perspective where our focus is that life that is truly life, which is a reason to use our earthly resources for God's glory, a reason to give to the the work of God in the world. Which brings us to the second reason to give, the community. When God calls us to himself, he calls us to be part of a family. And families share their resources, don't they? They look after each other. They work towards, together towards common goals. And that's the picture that we get in 2 Corinthians 8, 13 to 15. Do you see that? Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality as it's written. The one who gathered much did not have too much and the one who gathered little did not have too little. The quotation there is from the story of Israel collecting manna in the wilderness in Exodus 16. God provided manna and it was shared fairly. Everyone collected it. No one had too much and no one lacked any. It's a picture of a sharing community, a picture of a community that shares from its abundance a picture that is really lived out fully by the early church as Acts 4 describes it. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Here is a gospel community working as it should, giving, uh, giving that is shaped by the gospel, no needy person among them, everyone sharing what they had. The community of believers is a family and families share what they have. Families work together towards common goals, pull their resources for the good of each other and to achieve the things that they're aiming for. I wonder, do you know that DPC may be something like a $13 million economy? That is uh, bringing collectively in $13 million a year. It's a very rough estimate 
estimate that I worked out from the median annual income of households in Dremoyne multiplied by the number of households that we have registered as active in Alvanto. Now, the latest figures uh, I could find for income were from 2016. Um, our average incomes may be less than the median for Dremoyne, but that gives us a rough idea of the economy of this gospel community. It could be something like $13 million that we collectively get each year. How are we sharing that resource? This community is a reason to give, to share what we have, to help each other and to work towards our common purpose of seeing God's kingdom grow. So we have a reason to give, gospel and community. But how do do we direct that giving? What's the focus of our giving? Well, once again, it's gospel and community. If we were to take up a collection for, say, the Cancer Council, who's likely to give to that cause? Well, anyone might, don't you think? People who've been touched by cancer may be especially motivated to give, but anyone who cares about health will give. Or say I want to collect for Fred Hollow's foundation for eye treatment in Nepal. Again, there might be people who are especially passionate about helping in Nepal, but basically anybody is likely to give. But what if I wanted to collect money for gospel work for an evangelist or a pastor or a Bible translator? Do you think anyone would give to that? No, it's gospel people who will give to the gospel, isn't it? We can't and shouldn't expect people who don't know Jesus to give to his work. That's why the gospel needs to be the focus of our giving. Uh, Not that we don't give to things like medical research or helping the poor in developing world. There are many very worthwhile things to which we as God's people should be contributing. But unlike them, gospel work depends entirely on God's people. Uh, When Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching, he's talking about financial support. Because as well as quoting Deuteronomy 25.4 about letting oxen eat while they help help with the threshing, he also quotes Jesus who when he sent out the 72 disciples on a gospel mission in Luke 10 told them to accept the support of households who would look after them. He said it was because the worker deserves his wages. Gospel work should be supported. That's the point. And if if you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, so much of it is about giving to the work of the gospel. It's basically a missionary support letter, uh, thanking them for their support. Paul commends the Philippian Christians for upholding him financially. I'm amply supplied, he says, now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Philippi was in Macedonia. So those Philippian Christians were amongst the Macedonians whom Paul so richly commends in 2 Corinthians 8 as an example of giving. They had a gospel focus in their giving. And once again, the other focus is community. The sort of example we saw before in Acts chapter 4, the Christian community working together to be a blessing to those around them to be the light of the world, making Christ known. Of course, as I said before, there are many worthwhile causes, whether that's charitable organisations or a needy neighbour. 
How could we ever forget the fate of the heartless rich man who ignored the needs of Lazarus at his gate? We are called to love our neighbour as ourselves. That will mean providing for them materially. But especially we are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. As 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possession and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? John is saying love one another means sharing materially with needy Christians. Again, that doesn't mean not caring for those who don't know Christ, far from it. But it means we have a special concern for the gospel community. As Paul sums it up in Galatians 6, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The gospel community is a focus for our giving. So what about the mechanics of our giving? How, How is it to work? That too is directed by gospel and community. So first and foremost, we have to apply the gospel in our giving. Now, a lot of Christians talk about tithing. Uh, and that's what the Old Testament law required of the people of God. And our reading from Malachi uh, showed just how seriously God took tithing. Give, that is giving 10% of all you earn, 10% of your crops, 10% of your income. Many Christians speak today as if that is what Christians should do, give 10%. But, but the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. The word tithe is not used even once in the whole New Testament. And the only time the concept of giving a tenth is used outside of one historic Old Testament reference is when Jesus criticizes the Pharisees for their legalistic pettiness. So the practice of tithing is not what the New Testament commends. No, rather, what the New Testament teaches is generosity. Uh, built on the gospel. Remember that key verse from 2 Corinthians 8? Have a look at it again, verses 8 and 9. I'm not commanding you, but I want to testify, test sorry, the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Not a command but the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not law, but gospel. That's the principle. And the implications of that are spelled out in the next chapter, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You see, it's not measured by percentage. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. It's sharing generously from the abundant grace with which God has blessed you. It's seeing what God has given you as not yours, but his, and modelling your generosity on his. I mean, think about it. If you had a family and earned $100,000 a year, giving 10% would be a huge ask because 90000 
is not enough for a family to live on for a year. Uh, But if you were single and earning a million dollars a year, then 10% would really be very little because 900,000 is more than enough for one to live on. So some people talk about graduated tithe, giving more in percentage terms the more you earn. An extreme case of this was John Wesley, who was a young preacher, only earned about 50 pounds a year, and he gave 20 pounds of that away, 40%, and lived simply but comfortably on the other 30. But over the years, as he became well known, his income eventually reached $1,400 pounds sorry, a year, and then he gave 1370 away, nearly 98%, and still live simply but comfortably on the other 30. Now, you see, the principle is generosity, not percentage. But, you know, when I, when I thought about the potential of, of DPC being a $13 million economy, I first thought I should drop that back to a much more conservative $10 million and then looked at the giving for the, part, the best month of this year so far and it worked out to be about 2.4%. Now, of course, those figures are all very rubbery and giving to church is not the extent of our giving. I'm, I'm sure that many of you give to missionaries and charities and aid agencies as well as being generous to friends and neighbours and family. But whatever we, way we look at it, it does fall a fair way short um, uh, of a tithe, let alone gospel generosity. Imagine if it was just 6% of that $10 million dollars. We then have plenty to two extra full-time staff, which Dave was dreaming with you about last Sunday, and, and give a good start for a fund to redeveloping our property. Now, I know that many of you are far more generous than that figure suggests. I also know that it would be unwise and indeed ungodly for, to just give it all away and not look after your family and other responsibilities that you have. But I hope you hear the challenge of the gospel for all of us Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And the gospel community also shapes how we give because we work together to be God's generous people. In his first letter to the Corinthians, Paul had set up a system to support the appeal that his second letter highlights. And there he says this, Now, about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. Here we see the the gospel community working together in this matter of giving. As they gather each week, they could set aside, put aside some money and then they can give it through trusted mediatories, their own men, approved by Paul, bearing letters of introduction, to take the gift with them. It's a trusted system. Now, these days, especially since COVID, rather than a collection every week, the vast majority of us do our giving to church by electronic fund transfer. Uh, when we do collect cash, we also always make sure it's counted by two people and banked as quickly as it can be after that and kept in the safe until that happens. Uh, And the treasurer keeps an eye on all of that and reports to the committee of management. 
Then every year we have it all properly audited and presented at the annual congregational meeting. As Paul presented a system that people could trust with their giving, so we work to have a system that you can trust. But as we draw this to a close, let's admit that this is not easy. Generosity is not our natural default mode. As broken, sinful people, we tend towards hanging on to it. We fear the consequences of not having enough and we're greedy for more. We need a motivation. We need to be spurred on. Where will that motivation come from? You guessed it, the gospel and the community. Primarily our motivation is the gospel, isn't it? Back to 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 once more. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's our motivation, the gospel, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the abundant generosity of God. If God is so generous to us, how could we not be generous in giving to his work in the world? And God continues to be generous. In chapter 9, verse 10, Paul says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You'll be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. God continues to provide so that we can be generous. Is that not motivation? Does that not assure us if we're worried about not having enough? Does that not challenge our greed? God is a good God. We know that because he is, he's given his son. Surely that spurs us on to give to God's work in his world. And you know, the community can give us motivation too. That's exactly what Paul does at the beginning of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. He holds up the community of Christians in Macedonia the Philippians, the Thessalonians and others. Paul holds them up as an example to motivate the Christians, the Corinthians. Uh, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they are able and even beyond their ability Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in love, we have kindled in you, See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Look at the Macedonian Christians who are struggling and yet giving. Look at their enthusiasm. Look at how they have absorbed the gospel of grace and how it shows in their amazing, unexpected generosity. There's a motivation. And so we can motivate each other. We can be encouraged by each other's generosity. Not that we know what each other is giving. Jesus encourages us to give in secret rather than to make a public show of it. But maybe we should be should anonymously give news of generosity when we hear of it. In whatever way we can, let's, let's encourage each other to give in a way that reflects the gospel of grace. 
there's a, there's a great opportunity here at DPC beyond my time here to grow this gospel community, to make a big impact for Christ in Dremoyne and beyond. There are also personal needs amongst us and many ways both here in Sydney and throughout the world that we can use our money to meet needs and grow God's kingdom. Remember that Jesus says we are blessed by giving. Let's look to the gospel of grace and the community that it has formed and be generous. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, you are an amazingly generous God to us. When we look at what the Lord Jesus gave up to humble himself, to become our saviour, when we recognise that, uh, that, that in him we have all the riches of heaven, oh Lord, we recognise how ungenerous we are. We recognise how miserly at times we are. And we pray that you would change our heart. We pray that you would open our hearts so that we would open our wallets, that we would be generous people so that we can see your kingdom grow both here in Des Moines and throughout the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.